Welcome to In the News Show. My name is Judy Desigatis, and I'm here with my co-host, Father Bill Weary. Hello, Father Bill. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Judy? Good. Nice to see you. Right. Likewise. Happy Feast of the Assumption, everybody. Right. Uh, Yes, as we record this, it is the Feast of the Assumption. I'd like to thank Joe Nebostinsky for being our technical help today, and also uh, David Hillowitz, who always provides our wonderful theme music. So we have a lot to cover as usual. Let's jump right into it. Um, We have, this is a very sad story. I don't like to start off with a sad story, but I will. Maybe we'll get out of the way. (laughs) So a four-year-old girl announces her gender transition at a pride parade. This is a little girl from Vancouver in Canada. And um, she attended a pride parade with her grandmother and basically, if she was a preschooler, obviously, four years old, she walked in the parade with her grandmother. And apparently, this is something new. This They fired a blue gender reveal cannon. I guess, you know, they do gender reveals for babies. They're doing this for uh, transgender folks, too, now, apparently. Fired a blue gender reveal cannon to announce that she would be transitioning to male. Now, I don't even know this little girl's name because in the article, this is from LifeSite News, they're already using her new name, which is, her last name is Lloyd. And so she's going under the name of Charlie Danger Lloyd. A brother. And she's a little girl from British Columbia. She's only four years old. Now, the author goes into this, and we're probably all thinking the same thing as Catholics. Four-year-olds are not capable of understanding many things. If I subscribe to transgender ideologies, bifurcation of sex and gender, and I do not, this is the author saying this, I would still be entirely confident that a preschooler could not understand it. Preschoolers also do not have the self-awareness to declare that based on their years of understanding and experience, they have been born into the wrong body. So not only did she attend this pride parade with her grandmother, but her mother has confirmed her desire to be a boy, that uh, she has begun using he, him pronouns as if, and the author also states, have you ever met a preschooler who knew what a pronoun was? I mean, Uh you know, I didn't, English class, I had to learn what a pronoun was. And um, that was very, the mother was apparently thrilled to make this transition announcement at this pride uh, festival. And this is just so so sad and interestingly enough though like when she goes into as to why the she's letting the preschooler and supporting the preschooler to do this it's saying that as a toddler she wanted to look just like daddy and insisted she was a boy he wasn't your typical little girl would play with other boys and parents would say he was more of a boy than their own children i mean what we would call growing up a tomboy i mean you know that this this child is four years old and you know we probably know people like that and even into like grade school years of you know I have friends that climb trees and you know girls that climb trees and play baseball and things like that and you know this just seems like a natural progression for a four-year-old trying to just figure out what she likes or doesn't like but they're going to go ahead and do this they've apparently already cut her hair at a uh, barber shop which is trans-owned and operated in East Vancouver um, saying that you know she has now short hair Um, so I, father, I mean, what can we make of this? I mean, how far is this going to go? Well, something in you wants to say to the family, wait until she's 18 out loud, uh, even, even 16. Uh, there is regret. There, there are, there is a phenomena, a phenomenon out there of, of regret. 
and there, that's on record in some cases where uh, people have lamented they, that they made that choice and um, said, I, I remember one, one case being quoted, one person being quoted said, I wish you know, people had talked me out of it. And yeah. it's, it's too late now, depending on the nature of the surgery. And at four years of age, my goodness gracious, uh, they go, it's not clear, I guess, from the article where, you know, when they're going to go ahead with the surgery or if they're going to go ahead with it at any time soon. But it sounds like uh, they are. And um, there, there could be uh, on the part of this child, uh, later adult, it could be great um, uh, lamenting of, of this and re great regret later. Um, so yeah. you, you, ask, you would ask them to, to, hold, to hold off on this. And um, uh, on the Feast of the Assumption, it just reminds me, and I commented on it this morning at Mass, the sanctity, and I mentioned transgenderism from the pulpit, because the Feast of the Assumption reminds us of the sanctity of the human body, the resurrection of Christ from the dead, of course, but also the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, that the body is sacred, and we don't uh, play with it, and we don't change God's design. Right. Uh, we leave it, leave it as it is, as, a way, as God created it. Yeah, amen to that. And it does not state when the transition would actually take place, but they're beginning to socially, quote-unquote, socially transition her by not letting her play with the toys and kids she wanted and letting her have short hair and affirming that she is a boy, telling all of her peers to call her a he, things like that. Um, and I have a picture here that shows her, you know, sweet little face. I mean, it's heartbreaking, wearing a Protect Trans Youth T-shirt, and uh, as a cape wearing the, the transgender flag and kind of holding up the flag. And, you know, even, even at that young age, I think kids just want to belong. And I feel like this is just part of one of those, hey, I want to belong. And a lot of people are doing this. I don't even know that they understand what they're doing. I mean, they don't right. understand what they're doing. And the parents are, are always siding on this. Let's affirm this gender affirmation. So uh, we'll probably hear more about that. But we certainly need to pray on that issue because I've, I've heard those stories of the regret. I've heard other people uh, doing the surgery, but this is by far the youngest that I've read about or have known about. So that is definitely disheartening. While we're staying on this subject, this is uh, something a little closer to home, um, but also not, not in the, uh, the realm of what we'd like to see, is our Pennsylvania Democratic Governor Wolf has given $10,000 to LGBT groups um, and this particular group in this article, also from LifeSite News, was caught on video teaching kids to pole dance. Oh, boy. So uh, it's, it's difficult to read that that much money has been given to an LGBT group. Um, but then you, you see what they're using it for or the, some of the people that participate in the group. It says LGBT pride activists recently taught young children how to pole dance at an event championed by Democrat Governor Tom Wolf and funded by his administration, according, according to a viral video in the governor's public statements. Uh, I think this took place earlier this month on August 4th. Um, he said, uh, announced on July 13th, the Wolf administration announced a $10,000 grant for the festival, which was one of, and, you know, hope you're sitting for this, people out there, which was one of 17 grants totaling $90,000 for similar groups from state's PA Pride Community Grant Program, which supports Pride festivals and events throughout the Commonwealth through September 2022. 
And it's our tax dollars at work, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, I'm glad I was sitting when I read that article. Um, but it's, you know, definitely a state promotion of gender fluidity and sexual or sex adjacent activity to minors has been an ongoing problem. Um, this is happening in other states. But when I saw this and I saw Pennsylvania, thought it was uh, definitely worthwhile bringing up and making people aware of and have a you know, short conversation about that. Um, once again, it well, me mentions in here, like you said, Father, about the psychological effects, effects of that transitioning or those that want to go back, um, that kind of thing. But to know that this much money is being given out for this cause is very disturbing. It was right out of this radio show uh, that we carried out an, an effective correction of uh, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman, who hang an LGBT, LGBTQ flag from his window, uh, from his office window in the state capitol grounds. Mm -hmm. And your predecessor, uh, Eleanor Rossman, got on that and discovered that it was a violation of state law, that there were not supposed to be any theme flags or advocacy flags um, hung on state capitol grounds. And she asked people to write in, the radio listeners, to write into the state and get that taken down. And it was. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, it was. I was, ama I was amazed at that. And she issued a call. Please write in or call in to the state government and, and tell them that that is, that is wrong. And uh, it was, as I said, it was taken down. So that's the nature of the uh, wolf regime. And, and they are yeah. that way, very pro-LGBTQ. Right. Uh, and yes, it is, it is lamentable that our, our tax dollars are going for these groups. Yeah, that, that is very, uh, very disturbing, but it's encouraging to hear um, that news that uh, people did heard that on the radio and yeah. then took action um, because that's what we like to hear and see. And some of those stories do go. We never hear about those. So that's that is good news. Is good news. That's right. It, it is. And it's also kind of sad. We can go into this. I'm, I'll take the initiative here about the Pope welcoming yes. transgender groups okay, to the ahead. Vatican uh, for the fourth time this year. Mm -hmm. uh, in his uh, recent Wednesday audience, uh, received uh, members of a group of transgender individuals, uh, including those who have undergone uh, sex change surgery or right. identify as the opposite of their actual sex. And once again, giving you know mixed signals on that. Certainly, we love all people, and the Pope, as Chief Shepherd, would imitate Jesus Christ on that to, to love everybody. But uh, love sometimes means instruction, catechesis, correction, and we, we hope that he would you know address those issues. I don't think personally he would be in favor of transgender surgery. Um, he has not come out, you know, he's not in favor of gay marriage as such, let's put that on the record, but he has come out in favor of, the Pope has come out in favor of civil unions, either civil unions or blessings, I should say, mm -hmm. blessings of, of homosexual couples and, and of their relationships, which is not really tenable if we, we say that, you know, homosexual activity is, is wrong, which is what we do say in our faith, in the deposit of faith. Uh, to, to to bless you know a sin a sinful situation as such uh, is not right. So um, we hope that uh, in you know there would be a corrective issued from the from the Vatican about that. It's hard to uh, it's hard to I don't know what received means. Received for the fourth time members of a group of transgender individuals. I don't know if that means that uh, the, that he uh, called them out in a good way and and or if they're just in a crowd. Of course. It's hard to control that. The Wednesday audiences are huge. 
Right. So I'm not, I'm not sure of the nature of the of the reception. So that would have to be clarified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just one. Uh, we have about a minute to go before we go to the break. But I just want to mention one other thing in regard to that. Um, there are some mixed signals, and there is something in this article that also says that one of the the members of the transgender group did write a, a his autobiography and gave the Pope a copy of his autobiography, or I guess her oh. now, um, detailing the transgender thoughts. And basically, the pontiff told him, "quote You did well to write your story, bravo." And the man added that Francis also told him to quote unquote uh, uh, always be myself, but not to be wrapped up in the prejudice against the church. So I guess we're going to have to um, see what happens with this, and, and hopefully we'll, we'll start to get some clarity. Um, and, and with that, we're going we're gonna to go to a break, so please stay with us. You're listening to 720 WHYF Holy Family Radio. We will be right back. Welcome back to the In the News show. Before we went to break, we were talking about uh, the Pope welcoming transgender group to the Vatican. And while we're staying with the Vatican, um, I have another article here from The Pillar that says the Pontifical Academy raises questions and confusion on Umane Vitae. Um, It sounds like that there's been some speculation that Pope Francis could be planning a new document addressing the church's teaching on the immorality of artificial contraception um, after one of its social media accounts said that Humane Vitae, which was Pope St. Paul VI's 1968 encyclical letter on the subject, is not infallible. Um, I remember I remember in seminary uh, that question being raised, and I suppose I have to say that it is a, a question uh, whether uh, Humane Vitae is ex cathedra mm-hmm. uh, or not. And uh, that's a, maybe a legitimate, uh, little legitimate discussion. It certainly is. It, it, it might not be extraordinary magisterium, what we call. Uh, that's uh, absolutely infallible. But it is the ordinary. It certainly is the ordinary magisterium. And so they're, they they are raising that question of um, Professor Ford and Griset. Germain uh, Griset was a uh, prominent moral theology professor at Mount Saint Mary's Seminary and and very well published and. He thought it was de facto infallible that that the Pope, uh, uh, Paul VI, was simply repeating what's been in the deposit of faith from the beginning for 2,000 years, that um, artificial contraception is 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 not to be done, is, is, is grave matter. So he said it was at least de facto infallible. The Pope was just just repeating uh, already established moral dogma. So, but that that is... Um, you know that, that's going to be a that's going to be a big question, but um, I I think that it is pretty uh, it is in the deposit of faith. I think um, I, I don't think it can be reversed. So I'm very concerned about this. It's true that the Catholic Church is the only voice, and we're not saying it too loudly anymore. Uh, is the only voice that is uh, condemning artificial contraception. Uh, all all Christian churches did. I've said this before on the air. Uh, all Christian churches did up till 1934, I believe it was. Um, every it was unanimous that uh, there were even laws in the books, the Comstock laws, they called them in the United States. Comstock laws named after a Protestant minister who campaigned against artificial contraception, which was basically was barrier methods back then, the um, condom, and he said it was immoral and uh, it was uh, considered in, uh, perverse to uh, carry out the uh, marital act uh, simultaneously, stifling any possibility of new life coming out of that act. Um, and there were there were actually civil laws on the books against it. And Anglican Church first broke ranks in 1934, 
and I've, and I've talked about this before, and they said uh, the Anglican Church at a Lambeth conference, which is the big uh, council they do every 10 years or so, a general council for the Episcopalian Anglican Church. And they said they, they, they reluctantly allowed it, but only for married couples and only for very, very good reasons, whatever, whatever that was. Mm-hmm. Of all news organizations to editorialize against it, it was the New York Times came out with an editorial condemning their permission of artificial contraception. Mm. New York Times is very liberal today. Mm-hmm. Back then, they were very concerned that it was going to promote immorality. And Pope Pius XI, the Pope at the time, came out with Castae Canubii, Castae Canubii, the encyclical, that in response to the Lambeth Council decision uh, say, uh, condemning artificial contraception, which was later followed up in 1968 by mm-hmm. Pope Paul VI, Humanae Vitae. So we, we again, much prayer is for the Pope that he would be enlightened by the Holy Spirit to do the right thing on this. Yeah. And that his advisors, you know, would, would weigh in on this. And, and all those outside the Vatican circle, although he doesn't receive those kind of criticisms very well, uh, theologians have already written in, you know, and, and contacted him on some of his doctrinal stances. And it does, it, you know, he does not respond uh, effectively at, at all to those critiques and those criticisms, but we, we must continue our prayers for Pope Francis, that he you know, does his job as shepherd in, in maintaining and protecting the deposit of faith. Yeah, that, that is definitely concerning, and we have to con- continue our prayers. I, I think one of the things that is worth mentioning when you're saying that these uh, priests or others that are contacting him, you know, we've been talking, all, we're talking all about the synod and things like that, and it says that... Um, Pope Francis has already pushed back from calls to update or develop official church declarations on contraception and update and develop or in quotes. And I think those are those kinds of things that are happening a lot in our culture where um, we've heard things like the Catholic Church has to get with the times. We must update. We must change yeah. things. And yes. I think we um, have to be careful. And as you said, take to prayer what kinds of things really should be updated and developed? I mean, Absolutely. as you said, these are official church teachings, and Pope uh, St. Paul VI was just reiterating that. But I, I also want to mention something else, is, um, and we've talked about this a, a little bit before, about how um, back in the 60s, that was really the beginning of, of this t- kind of free love culture. And this was really prophetic on the point of Pope St. Paul VI, because um, he warned that the widespread adoption of artificial contraception, even within marriage, would lead it to increases in divorce, abortion, and other forms of sexual Amen. immorality, all contributing to increased human suffering. Amen. So, I mean, this is, uh, you know, what we call, like, when you think about the throwaway culture, I and mean, this was the, it, it existed, like you said, back in the 30s, started, you know, started percolating. But very I think this okay. is very prophetic of him. Uh, prophetic is the word. Prophetic yeah, is it, absolutely. He, could see he nailed that. it. This he was nailed going it. to happen, and and it is happening. So yeah, well, and uh, wherever um, you know, people sometimes look at our. I, I, I encountered Catholics. Just had a conversation with one. I might have mentioned it over the air. Our last show. Um, sat down with a very good Catholic, and who uh, believes in artificial contraception. She's pretty. She's on board. You know, regarding abortion, and but she said, yeah, I think artificial contraception. I think we should allow that because it's a preventative for abortion. And, um, you know, we, we talked about it and I disagreed with her. And um, I should have said uh, wherever, wherever artificial contraception goes up in, in frequent usage, 
abortion goes up. They're kissing cousins. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, abortion becomes like the safety net when artificial contraception fails. So it's not really a preventative as much as people think, but it, it actually encourages abortion. So uh, that's unfortunate that some Catholics view it that way. You know, it's better to contracept than to abort. So let's allow contraception. But you're you're employing one evil in order to, pre to prevent another evil. Right. Um, and but people don't get that. They just they just don't see that. And she didn't either. I said that to her, and I said it's kind of a a, pra a twisted pragmatism mm -hmm. that employing this this one evil to prevent another, and and that's that, that violates your moral theological principles. You, you know, you you can't use one evil to prevent another one. Right. Right. And I think a lot of people have found out over the years, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners know this, or maybe they don't, that taking the the, the pill part of if you're doing artificial contraception that way, um, there are fit, you know parts of that that are abortifacient. Can be. So, it, you know, it can be. And, and you may not know what really is happening if you if you do that. You know, it's a possibility yeah. you could have uh, an abortion, you know, abortion early in a, a pregnancy and not know it from you know the pill it doesn't only alter uh you know one part of a woman's body but it's also uh can also expel what might be the start of a new life so um that's something that i think a lot of people are were not aware of at one time they've been talking about that part of it over the years as well so um well, let's go on to something a little bit more positive. <laughs> um, recently, this is from the National Catholic Register, Coach Jim Harbaugh, and he's of the uh, University of Michigan, coach, football coach. Um, uh, this is entitled Pro-Life Convictions. I want to be on the side of those unborn children. And I think this is wonderful that he has spoken out uh, about this. Yeah. And he's saying that um, he believes in having the courage to let the unborn be born. And over uh, many years, he has talked to his, he treats his players like he said, uh, this is what he, a quote, I treat my players just like I do my own kids. I don't treat my own kids any different than my own players. So the message is the same, that I want to see them have the baby. And after the end of that term, when the baby is born, if they still don't feel like they are in a position to take care of the baby, give it to me. Um, so I, he was also saying, and, and this is you know, that he has a, you know, a rather big home. So if, if someone is in uh -huh. danger of saying, you know what, uh, I don't want to keep the baby. Um, he said he would, you know, go through the pregnancy, have the baby and he'll, he'll take care of, uh, raising that child. I think well, that, I that that's amazing. These Catholic celebrities come forward yeah. they're in sports world or entertainment world and, really express their faith, speak speak their faith and defend the truths of the faith. And Coach Harbaugh here is an example of that. And I say hip, hip, hooray. Right. Um, I, I know in, in Hollywood, which is, you know, virtually godless uh, and, and, and the movie industry, there are some practicing Catholics and devout Catholics like uh, Mark Wahlberg, mm -hmm. he's, who's very good, did father, did father stew um, there, you know, and uh, there's a few others, Gary Sinise. Um, who um, played in Forrest Gump and um, has been in a detective show. He's a convert to the faith. Mm -hmm. He's an actor as well. And uh, there are uh, there are others that um, you know are very very good, very very devout. Jim Caviezel, of course, yes. who played Christ in the the Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie. And, and Jim Caviezel was also in a, some police detective show, television show as well. And um, so. 
a hip hip hooray for Coach Harbaugh and may many blessings be upon him for for that offer of taking care of um, unborn children who are unwanted. And we'll see. It'd be interesting to see if anybody takes him up on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, I agree with you, Father. It's very courageous of him to speak out. And I remember talking on our show a while back that uh, University of Michigan is very liberal. And yeah. there are a lot of when they when they, they had the Roe v. Wade leak, they were uh, very much, you know, protesting and screaming about abortion and things like that. So he's, uh, you know, and in Hollywood, too, of course, they're really up against a uh, in the minority. So I, I do. um Yes, give him a lot of kudos and a lot of prayers for for offering that. So, um, regarding the Dobbs decision, I know we don't have much time. Uh, nevertheless, uh, but and Judge Andrew Napolitano had a great uh, column on that about the overturning of Roe versus Wade, and he lamented that he still did not address the 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 decision as good as it was. It did not address the violation of the Fourteenth Amendment, and, and that is the Equal Protection Clause, and that. Um, they sidestep whether or not the decision sidestepped whether or not the fetus is a person, which of course it is, he says in the column, and comes under the equal protection clause. So that um, what what the decision did reverted it to the states to what he says is the tyranny of the majority, um, and we saw that in Kansas where mm-hmm. the majority um, uh, abandoned uh, the protection of the unborn. So yeah. just food for thought. It was a good column. Yeah. And we'll leave with that because we're out of time. Um, Definitely some food for thought. So thank you all for joining us. And if, Father, you give us a blessing, please. May Almighty God bless you all. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God.